Welcome to the Faith Christian Church Podcast. You're listening to a message from one of our many gatherings that we have throughout the week. For more information on service times, ways that you can be a part of the work that God is doing in our communities, and so much more, you can visit our website at faithchristianwi.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. We're in a series called The Writing on the Wall. And the writing on the wall is out of Daniel chapter 5. And we're going to actually explore the name of the series today. We're going to explore the writing on the wall and what it says about the writing on the wall. But in this series, we're covering the life of Daniel. And we're covering what it looks like to be a follower of God in a world that wants nothing to do with God. What it looks like to obey God in the midst of every trial, in the midst of every persecution, in the midst of every hurt. What it feels like to pursue God with our enemies and our friends. And it's not just about what feels good to you, but it's about being a servant to God no matter what it looks like around you. But that's what we are called to do. And we are exploring Daniel. We, we saw Daniel in in the beginning, declaring what he wanted to eat and not what the king's people wanted him to eat. And in the end of that, we see that Daniel is, is looking healthier than any of the king's people. The Lord blessed him in what he declared because he knew that the Lord didn't want him to eat anything unclean according to that, the, the Israelites' law. And then we see Daniel, again, not so much Daniel, but his, his compadres or his companions being thrown into a furnace because they weren't going to bow down to an idol. And we see God deliver them in the midst of the furnace. But it's not so much the delivery that gets me, it's the fact that they say to the king that whether our God delivers us or not, we are not going to worship your idol. We know he's able to, but even if he doesn't deliver us from your fiery furnace, we are still going to obey that of the Lord. And now we, we get to dive in to where... Daniel is actually brought in to a place that he really didn't want to be, to a place that he had no desire to come to, but he was still in the area of Babylon. We're going to look at Babylon and what it looked like right before its fall and what actually happens to Babylon and why it fell. So I want to, I want to open up in Daniel 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4, but before we do that, let's, let's give a prayer to the Lord. Dear and Father, we just thank you for your power. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for everything that you've done in our lives, Lord. We thank you for your word, that it, it stands true. It stands powerful in the midst of everything that it is, Father, Lord. And we just ask that right now your Holy Spirit would come in this place right now. We come against every curse of the enemy, every lie of the enemy, every confusion of the enemy, every spirit of disunity of the enemy, Father God. And we cast it out in Jesus' name right now. The blood is over the doorframe of every heart, every life, every person here, Father God, Lord. You are, are cultivating the midst of every, every person's soul right now, every person's Spirit, Lord, you're awakening them. We pray for an awakening in our souls today, Father God. Lord, that this word would come and it would set root in our lives, Jesus, Lord. It wouldn't be something that we would forget, Father, Lord, but it would be something that would come manifest and we would understand and we would live according to that which you have called us to live to. And Father, we ask that your, your spirit would fall afresh, your word would fall afresh in this place, that it would run through every chair, every, every fingertip, every toe, every eye, every ear, Father God, Lord, that it would be in the midst amongst us, that you would inhabit this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to start in 
Daniel 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. All right, here's some pages flipping. Get it. It's there. It's in there. All right, verse, verse 1 of chapter 5 of Daniel. It says, Belshazzar, the king, held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that they had taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. All right, so I just want to start talking about Belshazzar the king. So last time, we were probably in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar was still the king of Babylon, right? So we think, well, now it says that Belshazzar is the king of Babylon. What, where did this Belshazzar come from? Who is this Belshazzar? How did he become king? Well, knowledge would say that it was probably the son of Nebuchadnezzar because they're usually the oldest son is usually the heir and the, and the rightful king to the throne. But when you do the research on the history of it, I'm just going to give you a few facts here this morning that when we come to Daniel 5, Nebuchadnezzar is no longer the king of Babylon. And how did it pass from Nebuchadnezzar to Belshazzar? The, the ancient historian Barocius gives us the following order of events. He says, Nebuchadnezzar died after a 43-year reign. So he, he reigned 43 years in the city of Babylon. And then his son, Evel Merodach, described in 2 Kings 25, verses 27 through 30, and Jeremiah 52, verses 31 through 34, ruled for only two years. When he was assassinated by his brother-in-law, Naraglassar, because his rule was arbitrary and licentious, Naraglassar, which is, he's mentioned in Jeremiah 39, 3 and 13, he ruled for four years until he died a natural death. Then his son, this is a big word, Leberosh Sokod, only a child and of diminished mental capacity, ruled for only nine months. So he was a very young man, and he wasn't all there mentally. And he was beaten to death by a gang of conspirators. Now this gang of conspirators appointed a man named, named Nabonidus, one of their gang, to be the king. So the guys that beat up this other guy, they, they were like, well, we're going to give our own king. And this king is called Nabonidus. And he ruled until the Persians came in and conquered Babylon. Now you say probably, well, where's Belshazzar in there? It's a good question. That's what I said. I was like, okay, I get it. Where's Belshazzar? So for a long time, historians and archaeologists knew that Nabonidus was said to be the last king of Babylon, not Belshazzar. But Belshazzar was actually his oldest son. So the solution of this so-called discrepancy was apparent when evidence was uncovered indicating not only Belshazzar's association with Nabonidus on the throne, but also demonstrating that during the last part of the reign of this Nabonidus, he lived in Arabia and left the conduct of the kingdom of Babylon to his son, Belshazzar. Now, there's also an additional mention of Belshazzar that he actually became co-regent, which means that he was the co-king of the area with his father about the third year of his father's reign. And then also, when you continue to look at it, it says that Nabonidus was in Arabia. Well, Nabonidus kind of knew that he had just 
gotten done with a big defeat of the Persian army. They had, they had gotten defeated, and the, the Babylonians actually retreated to their city. There's a lot that I'm going to tell you a little bit about their city. But so Nebuchadnezzar kind of got out of the region and left his son to, to rule the city. He kind of knew what was going down. But this city, because they retreated to this city, this city was, it was huge. And it had moats and it had protection all around. And it had walls inside of walls, inside of walls, inside of walls. It said that the walls were like over 20-some feet thick that you could not get in. And they had towers that were 100 feet above the walls. They had people that could see for miles and miles. And they had enough stored goods within the city to keep them for a lifetime. That's how big this city was. They had that much food. They had that many resources that as long as they could stay in the city and nobody could get in, they were safe. And I'm sure the city was big enough that it didn't feel like they were cooped up so they could walk around and whatever. And then there was, the, there was also the, the river Euphrates. And the river Euphrates actually ran through the city. And they had a gate that would close to keep the river and people out from trying to come through under the river. That's important stuff, and we'll get to a little bit more of that later. But I just want to give you a base foundation of where Babylon is at and who Belshazzar is. Now, Belshazzar has this feast. He says, oh, man, whoo, Hallelujah. I didn't even have breakfast this morning. So Belshazzar has this feast, and he invites a thousand of his nobles. He's powerful. He's got riches. He's got the kingdom at his hand. He's been named second ruler of the kingdom for a long time now. And now his father's gone, and now he's the sole ruler. He's the sole ruler of the kingdom of Babylon. He says, let's have a feast. Nobody can get in. We're safe. I'm powerful. I'm rich. And he's, he was arrogant. He was prideful. He said, everything is unto me. I can do everything myself. And he invites all these people in to this party. And he says, I want to show them all that I have. I want them to come, and we're going to drink, and we're going to be merry, and we're going to have feast of feast and wine of wine, and we're going to do all the things that we need to do because this is a joyful time because the Persians can't get in. Needless to they know that the Persians were encircling the entire city. The Persian army was huge. And he has this feast. And he invites people in. And in the midst of this feast, he's so prideful and so arrogant. And sometimes in our pride and our arrogance, we feel that we have to show it to other people. Because really that's the, that's the, the, the root of pride. It's not really about me enjoying myself, but it's about other people knowing that I'm enjoying myself. Right? Kind of screwed up when you think of it that way. But this pride thing comes in, and he wants to show people who he is. And, and he's trying to legitimize who he is. Because people with an ego, people that are prideful, usually feel like they're actually weak in some area of their life. They feel like they don't stack up, so they need the reassurance of other people to... to to acknowledge that they stack up. And this Belshazzar brings these people in, in this feast, and he calls and he says, let's go a step further. Go grab all the gold and silver vessels that came out of the temple of Jerusalem that my grandfather took. And let's drink out of them. So he's prideful, which God doesn't like pride. He's immoral because it says that he has tons of concubines. And now he's going to go and he's going to defile the dining ware 
of the holy God of Israel. It's interesting to me that how quickly we can fall, that sometimes it's a slow fade, but that slow fade seems to, to really start to speed up over time, that we get to a point that we say, well, I'm just going to dabble in this a little bit. I'm just going to touch a little bit here, and then all of a sudden you go here, and that person, because they're dabbling in sin with you, says, oh, you, could, that's, you did this, now let's go do this, and all of a sudden you're hooked on every drug, you're hooked on every addiction, and you're doing everything you thought you'd never do, and now you're losing your job, you're losing your car, and you don't know what's happening next. You don't have a house, you have nowhere to go. Just as fast as it comes, it goes away. Let's go to our next scripture because there's something extremely, extremely important. When we get, we're going to go from verses 5 through 9. Daniel 5, 5 through 9. It says, Suddenly the fingers of a man emerged and began writing the opposite of the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as a third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. Sometimes when we're in this place of pride and this arrogance, and I don't know if you've been there, but stuff starts to reveal itself. I don't know if you've ever been convicted by your conscience in the midst of doing something you didn't think you should be doing. I know I have. And all of a sudden, this hand appears, and these fingers start writing. And I don't know about you, but if I saw a hand without an arm attached to it starting to write on a wall, I think I would grow a little pale, and I think my knees would start to knock a little bit. But it's not so much the hand. And it says that he recognized the hand. He recognized the hand. And I, I don't want to get too far into this, but I... This, this is so neat because that hand is writing on the wall and we know, we know from the scripture as we read farther that it is the hand of God that is inscribing on the hall. And we, he sees the back of the hand and he sees, recognizes the back of the hand. He had to know at that moment that that hand was of God. But he didn't know what it was writing. And sometimes we can see the back hand of God in our lives, but we don't know what he's writing. We don't know what he's convicting us of. And he steps back in the consciousness of what he's doing, and he knows that he's doing something wrong. And that is why he starts to turn pale. That's why his knees start knocking together, because he knows by past experience that there's got to be a consequence to living the way that he's living. Sometimes we get in life and we're able to step back in our own situation voluntarily, or in this case we are forced to take a step back and look at what we're doing. And when we see ourselves doing the things we're doing, we go, oh man, how did I get here? How did I get to the place that I'm at? I remember when I was in college, I was going out every night of the week. I was, I was working a full-time job almost. I was going to school full-time. And then I was going out every night of the week, either to a house party or even to some bars. And I wasn't of age. And I would go out, and I would drink, and I would have fun, and I would laugh, and we would make jokes, and it was fun, it was great, it was an awesome time in the world sense. 
But every night I would get home, and at like 2.30 in the morning, I'd lay on my bed, and I'd start praying, and I'd like, God, why am I at where I'm at? It was me stepping back and saying, whoa, how did I get here? This isn't the way I grew up. This isn't what God designed me to do. What kind of fruit am I seeing in this? Nothing. All I'm seeing is pain in my own heart, pain in my own life. Sometimes we have to take heed to that stepping back. We've got to answer. I made a, a decision six months in to going to school. One semester that I said I wasn't going back for another semester. And I think all the time, man, I really could have really finished school up there and I could have really had, had a good time finishing school up and had a really great job working on airplanes, maybe flying airplanes somewhere. But I tell you what, if I would not have moved out of that situation, if I would not have changed my environment, I would not be standing here right now. It was a decision that said to repent and get myself out of a situation because I was not strong enough to stay in that situation and change. Belshazzar finds himself in the situation and he finds the conviction on the wall that says, you're doing wrong. Why are you doing what you're doing? You have to stop doing what you're doing. He takes the vessels of the temple and he's drinking out of the vessels of the temple. He's defiling God's stuff. And the writing appears on the wall. And then what does he do? He calls in the magicians. He calls in the diviners. This is what we're doing in America today. We can't figure out where the end's going to be, so we're calling up people that are fortune tellers. We're trying to get the rest of our life, our future of our life, from fortune tellers, from magicians, from people that we don't even know where their things come from. And they're telling us the rest of our life. They're giving us a future, which is an absolute lie. We're trying to get something out of what the world tells us to get out of. He was, Belshazzar was in the midst of this party trying to be what the world called him to be. He said, if I, I invite a thousand people, if we're having a party with a thousand of our best friends, that's what the world tells us to do. It says your life is short, so party it up. You're only here for a short amount of time. You might as well enjoy it. He didn't understand that he could be doing that, and tomorrow he could be gone. And the consequence of where he was at dictates where he goes. Because believe it or not, there is a life eternal. It's either a life eternal in hell or a life eternal in heaven. We have to have this realization. Because what we do on earth is what we sow. And that's what we're going to reap in heaven. i got to keep moving. I'm going to run out of time really fast. Daniel 5, 17 through 24. <clears throat> Let's read that. It says, then Daniel answered and said before the king, keep your gifts for yourself. So the king found out that Daniel was in the area. He found out that Daniel was somebody that his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, used to interpret dreams. And he was a man that was found the Holy Spirit of God. He was a man that could do things that nobody else could do because he had the Spirit of the Lord. So he's invited in. He's invited in. And he's invited in, and, and the king offers that gold. We, we read that he offered the gold and everything. And, and the third rule in the kingdom, and the reason it was the third rule in the kingdom is because his father was first, he was second, and whoever interpreted this was going to be third. So, he says, I don't want your rewards. I don't want any of that. And we go into, we go into verse 18, it says, O king, the most high God, granted sovereignty and grandeur and glory and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father, or grandfather, because it was his father, his forefather of the time, right? wasn't his actual father. 
Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, Nebuchadnezzar, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed, and whomever he wished, he spared alive. Whomever he wished, he elevated, and whomever the heart was lifted up, and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was disposed from his royal throne, and his glory was taken away from him. He was driven away from mankind, and his heart was made like that of beasts, and his dwelling place was the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew of heaven, until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind, and that he sets it whomever he sets it to whomever he wishes. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this, but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, have been drinking wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand, but the God in whose hand are your life breath, and all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him, and inscription was written out. Daniel says, have you forgotten your past? Have you forgotten where you came from? Belshazzar was alive when these things happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And if you want to learn more about what happened to Nebuchadnezzar in his pride, read chapter 4 of Daniel. That's where we see all this. So Nebuchadnezzar was given a dream of a grand tree, a tree that stood atop every tree that reached to the clouds. It was huge. And Daniel's interpretation of that dream was that that tree was Nebuchadnezzar. And in the midst of this dream, that tree is cut down. Huge in its glory. Cut. And then a steel band is put around the stump. See, one day Nebuchadnezzar's walking in his kingdom. And he says, look at all that I have accomplished. Look at my majesty. Look at all the kingdoms I have conquered. Look at what I have done. Look at the glory that this place has brought. Look at the place that we built, the walls we built, the defense that we built. No one is greater than I. And as soon as he said that, boom, he was cast out as a beast of the field, given a mind of a beast he could not comprehend or think. And in chapter 4, it says that he would, he would be gone and, and as a beast of the field eating grass on all fours for seven periods of time. And at the end of the seven periods of time, he came to himself, found where, out, where he was. He came to himself. It means his eyes were opened. We see that even with the prodigal son, that he came to himself and saw his certain situation. Maybe today you're in here and you're coming to yourself and you're like, whoa, I didn't know that this is where I was at. I didn't know that these things were in my life. You came to yourself and your eyes are opened. And he, he saw that the God of, of glory, the God of, of Israel, the righteous and almighty one was the one that brought all things and all things through him it is ordained. The breath of life itself comes from God. And he repented. And God gives him the kingdom back. So this is what Belshazzar has seen in his life. And now here he is in his pride and his arrogance, throwing a party. He's doing everything that he should not have done. Everything that got his grandfather thrown out and made a beast of the field. And sometimes, I'm telling you, sometimes you can only go so far, and it says in Romans chapter 1, you can only go so far until the Lord gives you over to the desires of your flesh and the lusts of this world. If you're getting close to that point, repent and turn around. 
and give yourself to God. So this is where Belshazzar is at. This is what Daniel is telling him. He's telling him, you have got to realize that from your past, this has been something that could kill you. And he says, I don't want anything that you're going to give me. We don't charge anybody for the gospel, do we? This is what Daniel does. This man, this Belshazzar, was an enemy. Daniel was taken into exile from Jerusalem. And he was made basically a slave. But through the blessings of the Lord, he was put in higher echelons. And as Nebuchadnezzar made him basically the prime minister of the city. He was the ruler over the diviners and the magicians. Basically, I think he kept him at bay for the most part. But he's there, and this person is his enemy. And he says, I don't want any of your money. I do not charge for what the Lord has put inside of me. I do not charge for giving you the gospel. I do not charge you in your sin or in your place. Because you know why we don't charge? Because that's where we started. We all start in the same place. Daniel knew that at any moment, he could be right there. He was one decision away from being right where Belshazzar was at. He understood that no matter who it was, it didn't matter because God loved them and God wanted them to be a part of his kingdom. God wanted them to love him. He wanted them to glorify God. So this is the interpretation. We'll pick it up in verse 25. It says, now this is the inscription that was written out. Many, many, tekel uparison. This is the interpretation of the message. Many means God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Tekel means you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Paris means your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. It says, Then Belshazzar gave orders and clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that now had authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. And that same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. The interpretation. Daniel wasn't afraid of giving the true interpretation of God. So often, God gives us a word, and we're afraid to give the word because we're afraid of how people will think of us. We're afraid to tell them about Jesus because we're afraid that they'll think that we're weak and that we, re that we reside on this God that we can't see, that we're putting our faith in something that we don't know. They're afraid of what we think and what we'll do. And we're, we're fearful of how people view us. Daniel wasn't afraid to give the true interpretation, even though that, that interpretation was death. It says many, many, many in its general form in the Hebrew language means mina. It means mina. It's numbered. The number of minas. We see the story of the minas in the, in the Gospels. Tekel means shekel. means it's weighed. Shekels were weighed. They were weighed by weight. Shekel. Perez means divided. It actually means half a mina. It was divided. So anybody else that would have come along would have saw, well, you got two minas. You got one shekel, and you got half a mina. That's not what Daniel saw. That's why the interpretation had to come. Daniel knew, as soon as he saw the writing, he knew, that's my father. That's what he wrote, because I know I have a relationship with God, and I know his writing. I know where he will put this. I know what he means by this. I know his writing. So he comes in, and he interpretates the writing. And he tells them, 
Your kingdom has been numbered and your days are done. You have been weighed and you have been found deficient before the Lord. You are light. You do not stack up. Your pride and your arrogance and everything you've done have caused you to come up light. And because of this, I'm going to divide everything you have amongst all the people that are trying to kill you. This is where we're at in America today. This is where we're at in the world. This is where we're at in our lives. This is where we're at. We are going to be numbered, weighed, and divided according to what we do on this earth. And I'm telling you right now, none of us stack up. None of us weigh right. Not a one. We're all light. We can't tip the scales that God has set. He gave us a law so that we could see that we can't tip the scales that God has set. And when Jesus came, he even challenged those that thought they had, had lived their life to the law. He said, if you had the thought, you already committed. We can't tip the scales of God. We cannot. And Belshazzar sees his end, and the Medes and the Persians come in. That gate I told you about, that Euphrates River I told you about, they diverted the river. They walked through on dry ground, right on in. And while they were partying and having a good time, boom, life was taken from them, and the kingdom was divided. Right after the word was given. Belshazzar is a reflection of who we are in this world today. Daniel is a reflection of Jesus. He is the reflection of what we need to become, what we need to be. He is the reflection of giving to your enemies, of pouring out to your enemies, of sharing the words that God has given so that, so that not all will be lost. He doesn't regard his own life. He knew that if he gave this interpretation of death, that they could kill him. He knew that if he didn't bow to the idol, that they would kill him. He knew that, that coming against the king and what he ate could kill him. He understood the consequences of what the word of the Lord required of him. But he moved anyway. And this is where we need to be. This world that we're in, it's sinful. It's hurtful. It's painful sometimes. And it's rough. And sometimes we get so beat down that we just want to give up. We just want a day. We just want a day not following what God has set before us so we can live in the freedom of our flesh so we don't have to fight any longer. I'm here to tell you today that just as Daniel was fighting for God's word to be truth in the lives of the Babylonians, we need to be fighting every day. We need to be giving God everything that we have so that others would have the chance. You see, the writing on the wall is a saying. It's a saying that we say nowadays to declare that there's consequences for what's going on, that there's something that's going to happen because of what you did. We say it to companies that, well, you wasted all that money. The writing's on the wall. You're going in the toilet tomorrow. This, this is the writing on the wall. You, me, 
see that knows Jesus? We're the interpreters. We have to come and tell them about the writing on the wall. Because if we don't tell them on the writing on the wall, they're going to end up just like Belshazzar. They're going to be partying their way into hell. And I'm here to tell you that hell is not a party. It's extremely hot. Extremely hot. And it hurts. Where are you at today? Maybe you're in here and you're saying, well, I hear what you're saying, but I feel like I'm more this Belshazzar guy than I am a Daniel. I feel like that that my life has been led around what people wanted of me, what people thought they required of me, that my life has been given over to this world because it tells me what I need to be and what I should be. And every person that I talk to sometimes puts me in a place that drives me further and further away from God because the more that we endow in sin, the more imprisoned we become. And we feel, this world feels that the release of your imprisonment comes from the joy of the world, the fun of going out and drinking. You'll forget about it. You just won't think about it. But then the morning comes and you realize that you are more imprisoned now than you were the night before. I got good news though. There was a man that was sent. There was a Daniel that had an interpretation. His name was Jesus. And he came and he told us about the writing on the wall. And he didn't just tell us, but he showed us the writing on the wall with things like Pastor Ken said. He opened the eyes of the blind so that we could step back and see our sin. So that we could walk in the victory that he had for us. So that the mud could be wiped away from our eyes. He put that man, he put the mud on his eyes and he spit, and he made that spit into mud and he put it on his eyes and he said, this is your, this is your identity right now, mud and spit. But when you go wash in the pool of Siloam, your identity will no longer be the mud and the spit, but it will be Jesus Christ and the victory that he has for you. That's what he did for us. He died on the cross and took your place. He substituted himself for you so that you could become him and he became you and he paid the debt he paid the penalty and he went down and he dumped every sin every shameful every guiltful thing you did he dumped it in the pit of hell and I asked God I said why didn't sin hold you there because if I die in my sin and I pay the death sin holds me in hell and he said to me he said sin is in you Sin was on Jesus because of his purity and his power. He carried it. He bore it. He took it up. He went up the hill carrying your sin with that cross. That cross was so heavy, but the sin of the world was heavier. And he's carrying, and he's carrying up that hill. And he needed help to carry the wood cross. But he took it up there, and he paid for it. Freedom. It says in Galatians that it was for freedom that he set us free. I love the song we were singing about freedom. Freedom, it's a dominion of freedom. It means I can walk around in freedom. It's more than just being set free. You can be set free and still sitting in jail. The, the door can be open and you can be sitting there, right? But freedom means I can walk around in freedom. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I need this freedom. I need this power of God. I need to become a Daniel. 
I need to kick away this Belshazzar thing. I need to realize where I'm at, and I need to become anew in your spirit. I need to become anew in Christ Jesus. Because if you believe in me, the only thing that separates you from God, the only thing that separates you is your belief in Jesus Christ. He paid for your sin. Everything you ever did has been taken care of. He paid for it. It's done. It doesn't separate you from God. The only thing that separates you is your belief in him. If you believe that he died on the cross, and that he paid for your sins, and you repent of everything you did, he paid for it. All that separates us is belief. If we believe, he frees. If we believe, he frees. If we believe, he frees. I'd like you guys to close your eyes this morning. Why don't you stand up as well? We'll just we'll stand up in the presence of the Lord. I just want to offer up a prayer this morning for you guys. That if this is where you're at and you need this freedom, I want you to lift up your hand this morning. I want you to step out. I want you to lift up your hand. Nobody's looking around. But if this is freedom that you need, if this Jesus is somebody that you need, I want you to step out and lift your hand up this morning. Because I want to pray for you. And maybe you, you know this freedom and you've walked away from it and you're seeing stuff in your life that, that maybe you need to, to shore up. I want you to lift your hand up as well. pray for you guys. I just want you to repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that you would come into my life. I ask that you would free me from every iniquity. I'm sorry for everything that I've done. I believe in your son Jesus Christ. And I believe that you died on the cross and freed me from my sins. Come and fill me now. I believe in you. In Jesus' name. And they all said, Amen. There is a freedom in this place. I can feel it. I can feel it in my very bones. There is a freedom in this place right now. The Spirit of God is inhabiting this house. And when we were worshiping earlier, I could feel that we, this was literally the throne room of God. And he was, he was smiling upon the people that were praising him. Take this outside the walls of this church. This is not just a place where you do this. This is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that even Daniel himself lived. Thank you for your attendance today. In Jesus' name.